NYB On The Run with your host, Katie Halday. This is your daily Bible blast, the perfect fit for your busy life. Just one chapter, one revelation. This will change your life. Welcome to Isaiah 5. I'm absolutely loving studying with this uh, with you, TYB on the run. So let's jump in. Isaiah 5, the song of the vineyard. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I'll tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its walls and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. Woe to you who add house to house and join field to field till no space is left, and you will live alone in the land. The Lord Almighty has declared in my hearing, surely the great houses will become desolate. The fine mansions left without occupants. A 10-acre vineyard will produce only a bath of wine. A homer of seed will yield only an ephath of grain. Woe to those who rise early in the morning to run after their drinks, who stay up late at night till they are inflamed with wine. They have harps and lyres at their banquets, pipes and tambourines and wine, but they have no regard for the deeds of the Lord, no respect for the work of his hands. Therefore, my people will go into exile for lack of understanding. Those of high rank will die of hunger and the common people will be parched with thirst. Therefore, death expands its jaws, opening wide its mouth. Into it will descend their nobles and masses with all their brawlers and revelers. So people will be brought low and everyone humbled. The eyes of the arrogant humbled, but the Lord Almighty will be exalted by his justice and the holy God will be proved holy by his righteous acts. Then sheep will graze as in their own pasture, lambs will feed among the ruins of the rich. Woe to those who draw sin along with cords of deceit and wickedness as with cart ropes. To those who say, let God hurry, let him hasten this work so that we may see it. The plan of the Holy One of Israel, let let it approach, let it come into view so that we may know it. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and champions at mixing drinks, who acquit the guilty for a bribe but deny justice to the innocent. Therefore, as tongues of fire lick up and draw, as dry grass sinks down in the flames, so their roots will decay and their flowers blow away like dust, for they have rejected the law of the Lord Almighty and spurned the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, the Lord's anger burns against his people. His hand is raised and he strikes them down. The mountains shake and the dead bodies are like refuse in the streets. Yet for all this, his anger is not turned away. His hand is still upraised. 
He lifts up a banner for the distant nations. He whistles for those at the ends of the earth. Here they come swiftly and speedily. Not one of them grows tired or stumbles. Not one slumbers or sleep. Not a belt is loosened at the waist. Not a sandal strap is broken. Their arrows are sharp. All their bows are strung. Their horses' hooves seem like flint. Their chariot wheels like a whirlwind. Their roar is that of the lion. They roar like young lions. They growl as they seize their prey and carry it off with no one to rescue. In that day, they will roar over it like the roaring sea. And if one looks at the land, there is only darkness and distress. Even the sun will be darkened by clouds. Oh, my goodness, how much imagery was in that. I hope I read that well enough for you to capture this imagery. I'm genuinely trying to be one of those animated readers so that you really capture the essence of Isaiah's prophecy. Now, remember, Isaiah 1 to Isaiah 39 is a book of judgment. Now, I haven't mentioned that in these in these. Um, TYB on the run. So it's a book of judgment from 1 to 39. It's kind of a collection of all the the prophecies about judgment. So you're going to hear woe. You're going to hear elements. Remember in in the other chapters, we had elements in chapter 4 of of hope and the remnant, but it is focusing on God's heartbreak over his own people. Again, notice it's not the judgment on the nations. It's not the outside Christians, so to speak, or the, sorry, the outside Jews. Because sometimes, guys, I think we read the Old Testament and we apply this to the outside, people outside Christianity. Oh, the judgment in Isaiah is all about the outside nations being abomination. No, 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 no. The judgment in Isaiah is God being cranky at his own people. He's looking at his own people and judging his own people. It's quite amazing to get that shift and adjustment in your brain, guys, that it's God doesn't just judge outside nations. He actually uses the outside nations to judge his people and, and punish his people, which is quite an amazing thing. So as we go through this, let's jump back. Who are we talking to? We are talking to the people of Judah, Jerusalem, and Israel. We are talking to God's people, and he is heartbroken. Did you hear it in the beginning? I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. So he's this beautiful imagery of somebody singing about a vineyard. Now, vineyards, when you go to the Holy Land, when you go to um, Israel, vineyards are everywhere. And they're on hillsides and they're rocky. I imagined vineyards and, and Israel like these beautiful green David pastures, you know, and we all imagine David in the in the back fields of, of these green fields. And it's like in Ireland. It's nothing like that have a look at images. It's it's dusty. It's desert. It's, you know, the Judean mountains were dirt. Um, and so when you look at these vineyards, imagine, you can imagine a beautiful flourishing vineyard. That's fine. But imagine the imagery of having to put up walls and, and rocks because it's not in this protected zone. It's kind of in the midst of all of this moment. So my loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. Does this sound like Song of Songs? It really has that beautiful imagery to it as well. He, it's, it's a fertile hillside. So it's, he knows the, the soil is fertile. He knows that when he plants there, it's going to have beautiful fertile soil. He dug it up and cleared it of stones. Again, vineyards in Israel are very stony. So he's, he's had to do work on this vineyard. He's had to clear it. Of, and can I say clearing it of stones isn't one or two stones. It's hundreds of stones. And he's taken the time and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well, all for the protection of his vineyard. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes. So he kind of did all these beautiful moments of this master of this vineyard, you know, the, which is God 
tending the soil and taking and spending months upon months of redoing the soil and making it fertile for the beautiful choicest wines that he was about to plant in it. And he did all of that work. He built a watchtower to protect it. Can you feel this beautiful imagery over Israel that he did everything he could to make them produce good fruit? He he built uh, kind of like the law as the watchtower, this watchtower that would protect them from sin and show them what sin was. And he has this beautiful moment then he says I looked as after all my efforts I looked to see what sort of um, fruit it would yield and you know remember fruit doesn't just pop up it takes a it takes a while for the, the tree to be able to produce fruit so this is a long time and unfortunately God's heartbroken but it yielded only bad fruit now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah judge between me and my vineyard I love this. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I? He's saying, what more, Israel, could I have done for you? What more could I have done to prepare you, bring you out of Egypt, save and rescue you, miracles, signs and wonders, angels, you know, accompanying you. I what I gave you the law to give you boundaries. I gave you the, the Leviticus law to give you covenant restrictions and, and these beautiful, I made a covenant, a promise. What more could I have done for you? When I looked for good grapes, Why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. And then he he says, you know what? I'm done. I will take away its hedge and it will be take away its hedge. What does that mean? It's going to take, God's going to take away the protection over Israel. Um, And it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall. So again, no protection. It will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated. I'm not going to take care of you. I'm not going to provide blessing for you. Um, and the briars and thorns will grow there. He's, he's basically saying, you know what? I'm going to show you what I've done. I'm going to show you the protection that I built around you, the nurturing that I gave you. I'm going to show you my favor that you had, and I'm going to remove it. Just so you can see what actually happens when you kind of bask in the favor of God and expect him to do everything for you without this beautiful heart of repentance and humility, which is what he's asking Israel to have, and they simply don't. Um, I will command the clouds not to rain on it. He's sort of withdrawing, saying, you know what? I built the wall. I built the watchtower. I built everything. I'm going to remove and, by the way, I'm the one that sends the rain. So I'm going to stop that too. It's this moment where the the vineyard is going to realize the provision of God. Oh, my goodness. Are you getting this warning, guys, even in our own lives? How lapsed are we with the, the favor of God and the blessing of God in our life? How used to the blessing of God are we? I remember going to a country, and I'm not going to tell you which country it was, ages ago, and I, 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 I'm in Australia. I'm in the lucky country, and the beautiful presence of God in this nation because of all the prayers of this nation, it, you know, we have these beautiful green trees and beautiful presence of God. And I went to a country where they had removed God from the history books, and when I got there and landed, it was such a culture shock of not having this beautiful natural presence of God in trees and creation. Everything was dark. Everything was gray. And I actually felt this void of what it is to remove God from the history of your books and almost this void of the presence of God. And our pastor had to step in and say, look, this is this is what is in this nation. And the ministry, heart for the ministry to restore that beautiful presence um, came upon me at that moment. We've got to know, guys, that we are we are blessed with the favor of God as Christians. But don't get you don't be so lapsed in it that you abuse the presence of God. You abuse. I say sometimes to my students, guys, um, the presence of God goes with you into those parties. <laughs> the presence. You, 
the presence of God, he's not going to leave you or forsake you. No, but do you really want to abuse the presence of God? And this is what he's saying. Let me keep going. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. He says the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. He's saying the nation of Israel was this beautiful vineyard that he cultivated and, and the vines were the people of Judah and he looked for justice, he saw bloodshed for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. The cries of distress are not from the people of Israel. Let, let, Judah, let me tell you, the cries of distress are the people that they're putting down, the widows, the poor. He, he's looking at this vineyard that was supposed to produce good fruit, and they're not. They're producing bad. Again, this is a, a real judgment on the people of God. And then he, did you hear going into these woes, woe to you, um, who add house to house. You're so blessed with the provision of God. You're adding house to house. You're standing on your mansions and how and, and, and your arrogance. Join field to field till no space is left and, um, and you will live alone in the land. The Lord Almighty has declared in my hearing, sure, surely the great houses will be desolate, the fine mansions left without occupants. A 10-acre vineyard will produce only a bath of wine, a homer of sea will. Now, can I say again, vineyards are not excessive in Israel. Remember at this time and this place, it's not like, oh, I'm so sorry, the vineyard didn't work and we won't have a glass of wine with our dinner. No, 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 no. <laughs> the vineyards are their source of everything. So don't think that the vineyard is an excessive um, component and it doesn't really matter if it doesn't go well. No, the vineyards are their source of everything. It says here, a 10-acre vineyard will produce only a bath of wine. A homer of seed will yield only an ephath of grain. He's basically saying that everything you harvest is what you rely on for hope. It's what you rely on for source. It's And that is provided by God, that source of, um, of food. Everything is provided by God in Israel. Remember, again, they are dependent upon Yahweh for the rains. They're dependent upon Yahweh. They can't go down to Woolworths or a supermarket to get food. No, they're dependent on God for the harvest. And when he withdraws that, they are desolate. They are without food. So remember that as you read this. Um, Woe to those who rise early in the morning to run after their drinks. And he kind of goes into the debauchery of their nation. Remember, wine provided by God for benefit and now it's it's debauchery. Who stayed up late till they inflamed with wine? They have harps and lyres at banquets, pipes and tambourines. They're partying. They're loving their new life of blessing. Um, And I love, oh, my gosh, let me go back one page, guys, because I just turned the page, but I want to think. Um, they have no regard for the deeds of the Lord, no respect for the work of his hands. They've forgotten. They've forgotten about God. They, again, this warning in our lives, God, to remember, to, guys, to remember the God of the promise. Remember who is providing the provision. And it's not about going about, oh, I'm a worm in your presence, Lord. No, it's about just keeping your heart humble and before him saying, look, I am, every time I pray, I said, I'm so grateful that I have food on the table, Lord. That's why we have, say grace, not to be this religious, we say grace. No, to say, once again, I'm so grateful. That's why tithes and offerings are important because it's a once again moment. I am so grateful for your provision, for your favor. I'm going to keep a grateful heart. I'm going to keep this moment. I'm not going to be like Israel back in the Old Testament that whinged and complained and became um, so used to the blessing of God that they became proud and arrogant that God had to really just um, rebuke them. 
Therefore, my people will go into exile for lack of understanding. Oh, my goodness, this scripture. Isn't this this moment where you're like, I know that scripture. Therefore, my people will go into exile for lack of understanding. It wasn't a punish, just a punishment of God that sent them into exile. It wasn't Yahweh being nasty and I'm going to send you into exile just because I can. No, no, no. It's because they didn't understand the the provision of God. They didn't understand what God was saying through his prophets. They didn't heed the warning of the prophets that said, you are arrogant. You are are horrible to people around you. You are not a representation of the kingdom of God. You're not a representation of of Yahweh. And, And the lack of understanding is the lack of their own pride and arrogance. Those of high rank will, will die of hunger and the common people will be parched of thirst. He's going to withdraw the provision. Therefore, death expands its jaws, opens wide its mouth. It will descend um, their nobles and masses with their broads. This is, can you hear this, guys? I, they get, this is punishment because of their behavior. Because why? All they had to do was repent. <laughs> All they had to do was say, Lord Almighty, I'm so sorry. I repent of my behavior. You know, Jonah is a story of the actions of what they should have done. Jonah, you know, in, in the end, he didn't want to, but he went to Nineveh and said, God's judgment is on you because of the way you're acting. And they said, you're right. We're so sorry. We repent and we change our ways and God withdrew his judgment. That was what was supposed to happen. And here, the people of God Aren't, they're hard-hearted. They're so arrogant, so proud, so used to the blessing of God that he actually, actually has to take it away to realize what they have. But the Lord Almighty will be exalted by his justice. Oh, wow. Let me go back one. So people will be brought low and everyone humbled. That's what he's trying to do. He's not trying to humble them to say they're a worm in his presence. He's trying to humble them to get them to get out of that pride and repent. The eyes of the arrogant humbled. But the Lord Almighty will be exalted by his justice and the holy God will be proved holy by his righteous act. And then it goes through woe to those who sin woke. And we've been through these guys. Let me jump forward. Oh, my goodness. The end section is this is how he's actually going to smack, give them a smack. How is he going to punish them? How How is he going to get these hard-hearted, arrogant people to realize that God is not happy with them? One, they're not listening to Isaiah. We can have a look in the, the book of Kings and the book of Chronicles that says they didn't listen to Isaiah. They actually said, no, you're wrong. And we'll have a look at that. Um, yet for all this, his anger is not turned away. His hand is, again, for all of that they have done, his anger is not turned away. Go. Can I say just a quick note? Go back into one and two Kings and one and two Chronicles. Just Google search where is Isaiah in one and two Kings and one and two Chronicles, and go back and have a look at these moments of how they reacted to Isaiah's prophecies. It's a great way to study the text if you want to do some study. He lifts up a banner for the for the distant nations. What is he doing? A banner is something that's lifted up before the army. He whistles for those at the ends of the earth. Here they come swiftly and speedily. He's he's actually causing the other nations to come into and and actually punish Israel by exile. Can you hear that this is the cosmic nature, the universal nature of our God, that he is able to use the other nations to kind of punish Israel? Here they come swiftly and speedily. Not one of them grows tired or stumbles. Not one slumbers or sleep. Not a belt is loosened at the waist. Wow. Not a sandal strap is broken. Their arrows are sharp. All their bows are strung. Their horses' hooves seem like you can hear this coming against them. Their chariot wheels like a whirlwind. Their roar is like that. And I've read it over you. In that day, they will roar like a roaring sea. Oh, my gosh. And if one looks at um, and if one looks at the land, there is only darkness, distress. Even the sun will be darkened by clouds. God told them time and time again, 
exile was not a shock to the people of Israel or the people of Judah. It wasn't a shock. Prophets time and time again were prophesying to the kings. Have a look in Kings. Prophesying, if you don't repent of your arrogance, God is going to punish you by the other nations. If you don't repent of your arrogance, but they became so elite in their people of God nature. They became so elite in their arrogance that they were the people of God. They were the ones that God had chosen. They came so arrogant that they treated everyone around them so badly. They weren't a light into the in a dark place. They were a, a, in the darkness themselves. Did you hear that? He says, there is only darkness and distress. Guys, this is a warning for Judah, for Israel, for us today. Don't get so complacent with your arrogance that your pride overtakes you. Know that God asks for a humble heart and that beautiful humility that the remnant had, the humility before God. They know where their provision came from. They know where their hope came from. They know where the source of life comes from. And we've got to remember that as as we study Isaiah, this beautiful text that is kind of giving us a bit of a warning, know where your source is and, and in honor and respect of God, have that beautiful thanksgiving in your heart every time you, you're in prayer. Hope you've loved Isaiah 5, guys. Can't wait to study the next chapter with you.